on the sunnier side was, you know, like try and sell my shares in the company or, you know, one of the items was give my shares to Phil, which if I would have done that, that would have like been a temporary relief of pain, but that would have really sucked in the long run. I would probably lost out on a hundred million dollars. Um, and, it, but, but the, on the darker side, there were like kill myself items on the list. And um, so the, thing that sort of emerged as a lesson from that because you know how we resolved it was i called phil and said hey i've been struggling with this inside for like six months i need i need to talk to you about it and he came out and we spent the day together and he you know he was just he had perspective on it and he was just like hey jb like i've noticed a little bit of this and the truth is we can hire leaders we can hire see something o's like we can't hire out what you do though so you need to go back to that and we'll find managers and things like that. Hi, this is Sean Greeley and welcome to the Secrets to Their Fitness Business Success Podcast, where industry leaders share their secrets, strategies, and step-by-step -step systems to turn your fitness passion into a highly profitable business. Now, after you've listened to the show, head on over to npefitness.com slash podcast to download the show notes and get access to our free e-course on how you can start and grow a profitable fitness business. You'll see how over 45,000 fitness entrepreneurs have created more profit, revenue, and happiness with their business and get instant access to our three most popular fitness business building guides. The training is 100% free and you can access it now at npefitness.com slash podcast. Now let's get on to the show. Coming from Los Angeles, this is the Secrets to Their Fitness Business Success Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Greeley, founder and CEO of NPE, and this is episode number one from zero to 200 million how growing precision nutrition almost killed Dr. John Berardi. John has been a personal friend of mine for a number of years, and I'm honored that he's shared some very personal stories of struggle and how he's overcome those struggles to grow in this episode. If you don't know John, he's absolutely brilliant and one of the top thought leaders in the fitness industry. He's had one of the best growth runs and an incredible exit growing PN from zero to $200 million valuation, and he's super passionate about leading transformational change. He's done it through his work at PN, and now he's doing it again with the launch of the Changemaker Academy and his new book, Changemaker, Turn Your Passion for Health and Fitness into a Powerful Purpose in a Wildly Successful Career. You're going to learn a lot in this episode, so be sure to take notes, and let's jump in. Okay, welcome, everybody. We're here for uh, a really great interview. I'm excited to be here with my good friend, Dr. John Berardi. Uh, John, we've been friends for a long time and uh, excited to have you on the show and share a little about your history and story, which is one of, frankly, one of the best in the fitness industry uh, from my perspective. So thank you for being here. Oh, thanks, man. Thank, thank you for having me. Thanks to everyone who's about to listen to us. Hopefully we provide some nuggets and some motivation and some inspiration to help them along their entrepreneurial journeys as well. Awesome. So for those who, who don't know you of your background, which if you don't know, John, you know, where are you? Uh, <laughs> but he's, uh, he's been around for quite some time. He's one of the co-founders of PN, uh, built up Precision to be arguably one of the most successful companies in the industry ever and is still going on to great things. Uh, had a great entrepreneurial exit um, a couple of years ago from the company and slowly transitioned uh, and uh, is not only a phenomenal entrepreneur, is an incredible educator, leader, a PhD, uh, in, uh, you know, done incredible work in nutrition, advised a lot of great companies, athletes, uh, but he's one of the things I really admire and respect about John, he's an incredible uh, father and uh, husband and really balances out you know, the whole aspects of, of, of being a good human being, uh, not just being a good entrepreneur and business owner. Um, and uh, certainly, John, you're a great example for all in so many ways. And so excited to, to unpack that a little bit on the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. It, it means a lot to me. A lot, of, a lot of the latter things that you mentioned are things that I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to do well. Um, and so people recognizing them and saying nice things about that means the world to me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's tell people a little bit about uh, a quick summary of your background. So, you know, tell people how you started PN and mm -hmm. the journey of building yeah. up PN. Yeah, I mean, like it, the trajectory probably goes all the way back to high school for me, which is, you know, I was, I was a terrible high school student. I, I got very bad grades largely because I was drunk and high most of the time skipping school and uh, was not on a good path. Towards the tail end of my high school experience, I was in sort of a car crash with a group of friends and um, 
it was a big wake up call for me. I, I expected to die that night. Um, I didn't, thankfully, gratefully. And um, then sort of the next year of my life was about sort of a reimagining, you know, um, and, you know, these Hollywood kind of stories where, you know, you're on your own sort of beginning anew on this new hero's kind of journey, <clears throat> leave out what I think is a particular reality that's not popular to discuss. But, you know, after that night of that car crash, I was like, I need to do something different with my life. And, um, and I certainly can't hang out with any of these people anymore. And so the next year to two years of my life was incredibly lonely because I, you know, decided I wasn't going to drink and do drugs anymore. Um, I decided I wasn't going to hang out with the same people anymore. So now I have like literally zero coping mechanisms or of my old coping mechanisms for life. And so um, I stumbled into the gym and that's kind of where the rest of this trajectory began. You know, like I was like, Hey, maybe I should just, fill some of my time working out, um, building some muscles, getting strong. Maybe this is a nice way to reinvent myself. And I was really, really fortunate that the owner of the gym, and he owned a couple of gyms in our town and the surrounding communities. And this guy was like someone that a high school kid, teenager kid would really look up to. He was a handsome guy, drove a nice car, had a beautiful girlfriend, owned a bunch of gyms. Uh, was huge. He was 240 and competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And so uh, he kind of noticed me flailing around in the gym and, and kind of took me under his wing. And um, both when it came to working out, you know, he, I eventually became his training partner and we even went on to compete in the Mr. USA contest together a few years later. Um, but also just mentally, emotionally, intellectually, he was always you know, he'd kick my butt in a workout in the gym and then he'd send me home with books to read, you know, about, uh, so everything from philosophy to motivation to finance, you know, and he introduced me way back in the day to Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and Stephen Covey and, you know, um, and he just made me promise him I'd go get an education. You know, he's like, I'm not going to ask anything of you, uh, except for to go out and go to school. And so that, that really kicked me off in the direction I was to head and also sort of embedded this deep love of health and fitness, you know, both as the vehicle for personal transformation, but also as a way to pay back the mentorship and coaching that I received from this one individual who, who really is, you know, the most influential person in my, in my history. Um, and so that, that's what I set out to do. So, you know, I, I went to school and I didn't know what I needed to learn or how or what I wanted to be. You know, I come from an immigrant family, uh, so uh, the dreaming big and having a business and making a lot of money was never really anywhere in my mind. You know, my parents grew up in a little village with no running water and no electricity in the house and uh, no education. And so, I, you know, I just, I, I was just exploring my interests. So I would take a bunch of psychology classes and take a bunch of physiology classes and then muscle biochemistry and stuff like that and then somehow I was good at those things because I had like a new commitment to my education and um and so all of a sudden before I know it I'm like pursuing a PhD in exercise and nutritional biochemistry but fully realizing like that's not the path I'm going to go down you know the um university professor researcher you know I was doing those things but it really wasn't my passion I wanted to be back out in the industry if you will and so towards the tail end of, of my grad school, I just started writing for publications, which was based on some work that I was doing with coaching. So I paid my whole way through school all the way by doing personal training with clients. And then I started working with athletes and, you know, and then I was doing sort of lifestyle coaching. Uh, and then as my uh, skills grew and as my ex research experience grew, I was doing physiological testing and then I was doing nutrition work. And so I was writing about those experiences, you know, so I was kind of an odd guy because I had this research training, but also like years of competitive bodybuilding and powerlifting and working with all kinds of different sports from cross country skiing to bobsled to whatever else. And so um, I got a lot of recognition for that writing. And then that sort of parlayed itself into, okay, how do I, you know, 
like if I wanted to assume for a minute that uh, I, I don't want to have a real job when I get out of school, what would I do, you know? And so that's when I met Phil Caravaggio, who co-founded Precision Nutrition with me. And he's like, hey, there's, there's maybe a way to consider this. Um, like, why don't we build out a website and, you know, do an early, like what now would be called an information product business. But back then it wasn't, there wasn't a name for it. You know, people didn't have their own websites back then. I even <clears throat> told Phil when he proposed the idea, I was like, ah, that'll never work, man. Like I, I, I try and go on the web now and everyone was on dial up. I'm like, it takes 20 minutes to load a simple HTML page. So, and he's like, no, trust me. And Phil um, was a systems design engineering student. So he was building web interfaces and he was working with IBM, and, you know, a, a bunch of big companies and he sort of had seen the future. Um, so that's so what we did. We started sort of an information product business. And then, um, then, then uh, a couple of years into that, we were doing okay. You know, we were selling products and services and making decent money and a couple hundred grand a year. And then we were encroaching upon about a million dollars a year. Um, and I, I was invited out to a company that was servicing uh, the financial industry. And what they were doing was coaching programs for team members that worked at big companies in the financial industry. And so um, they, they, it was all online, it was digital, and they wanted me to create the nutrition modules. And so I, I went and met with them and, and it wasn't a good fit for what I, what I wanted to do, but the idea really resonated with me. Like, what if we created a similar kind of group coaching program that's not geographically limited, so people can work with us from all over the world and we could help them through lifestyle change. And, and so then we built an interface and we built a program and we launched what, what I think is the first group uh, lifestyle, nutrition, exercise, coaching company on the internet. Um, and again, this is so passe now that like everyone has this now it seems so uninteresting as I hear myself saying it but I'm like there's literally no one doing this you know we were the first we built a platform we hired engineers you know we like no one was doing this in health and fitness it was groundbreaking at the time yeah it was it was it was novel and it was new and it did really well <clears throat> and then after a while doing that we were getting a lot of attention and a lot of professionals said um, hey can you teach us how you guys are doing that. Like, how do you do group coaching that's so scalable and actually has a meaningful impact on people's lives? Because uh, it's really easy to presuppose that either um, you're going to do like small group and one-on-one -on -one stuff and have a big impact or large group stuff and the impact diminishes, right? So there's an inverse relationship between like personal touch and positive outcome. And we were like, yeah, but what if we, what if we presumed that wasn't true? What if we tried to create a program that worked as well or even better and could be done at scale? And that was how we went into this and, and it was working. And so professionals wanted to learn it. And then that's where the certification came from. Uh, and so we launched what it was the first nutrition certification for health and fitness professionals. Um, and people thought we were so dumb because we did that at a time when literally every personal training organization said, you're not allowed to talk nutrition. You know, it's against the law. It's immoral on and on down the line. Um, and I just, I just had this inkling that this was going to be a thing. Um, and now fast forward today, today PN's, you know, coached over 200,000 people, uh, over, I think 120,000 students have enrolled in the certification program. Um, and then, right around 2015, 2016, we started thinking like, how, how can we tie the two together? I mean, we have all these professionals who um, are learning from us how we do things. And then we have a whole platform for actually doing those things, but we didn't have a way to put them together. So we launched a program called ProCoach, which was basically opening up our software to all of our certified professionals so that they could use it with their clients and with them as the coach. So now they have this proven system that We've done a bunch of research on and we've shown reliable outcomes with, uh, and it's all built, the platform's all built. And so then they can start using it in their practice. And then that, you know, became a software as a service model. Uh, that was the first recurring revenue model we ever had. You know, now all of a sudden, if people end up using it and liking it and staying, now we don't need them to buy again. They're just paying monthly. And then each round, another 
whack of new professionals comes on top of that. So it becomes sort of an exponential growth process, both in terms of revenue and, and reach. You know, all of a sudden you have 10,000 professionals, each working with 50 people, you know, and the impact really goes to a place we could never have had when we were, you know, doing all the coaching in-house ourselves. And it, I remember, you know, within one year of launching ProCoach, um, we were really pleased that we had um, coached more people through the ProCoach platform in one year than we had in 10 years coaching people through, you know, our own coaching efforts. So it just became this beautifully scalable thing. So, um, so then that took us, that takes us up to December, 2017. Um, that year, 2017, there was just a lot of very proactive interest from various people in the industry and outside the industry in investing in PM. Um, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about this, about selling a company, what it meant to get outside investment. PN never had any. We just bootstrapped and, and grew from revenue. Um, and, and probably the truth is we probably looked down on the other path, you know? Um, and, you know, a lot of my own biases back then are slightly embarrassing to me now, but I used to be like, oh, these Silicon Valley idiots, whatever. This is what happened in my head. Um, and I, it was just ignorance. I didn't really understand how any of the games worked. But, um, but it, it got to the point where people were just calling us and saying, we'd like to buy PN. And Phil and I were like, do we, we want to sell PN? I mean, we're having a good time. We have a great team. We love the people we work with. We're proud of our work. Um, I don't have any interest in selling this thing. And Phil's like, I don't either. But I bet if we at least went down the path to exploring this, we'd get a masterclass in finance, in, you know, bringing on partners, transaction, all that. And along the way, we learned that, uh, and we were growing fast at the same time too. And we hit a point where we both looked at each other and realized like, hey, if anything were to go wrong at PM, like we could sell everything we own, the two of us, and not even cover one month's, you know, team employment, you know? Like, man, that's not good, <laughs> you know? And we have money in the bank and stuff, but uh, for PN, but still we're like, we don't have the financial wherewithal to support a company as big as we have now. And there's companies out there that do, what would that look like? So we went down that path and it was, uh, it was amazing. I mean, it, it ended up being a very competitive process, which is what I recommend for anyone selling their company. Um, the first company that contacted us to buy or invest in PN uh, threw out a number. Uh, we ended up selling PN for about eight times that number. Um, so what was the, the defining factor? It was just a competitive process. It's like in real estate when there's a hot market and you create a bidding war, you know, they call it, where you have a bunch of parties coming to the table, a little nervous, they're not going to get the house that they want. So you have all bids final by such and such a day. Um, you show the house often before that day and you tell everyone, okay, cool. We're not showing you what the other parties are going to bid. Um, here's, you know, make your best offer. And that's how it ended up working out. And so um, not only did we have, uh, I think we ended up with uh, over 35 offers on the company, um, a great group of partners to select from, but we also had a, a premium price that, that we could sell for. And so that, that sort of took, took us right up to December 2017. And, and so now, uh, PN's owned 80% by a private equity company. Um, that was the partner we ended up choosing. Uh, Phil and I own 10% each. And the company just continues to do extremely well. I mean, uh, PN's growing 40% year over year still. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, when we ended up selling, the valuation was close to $200 million. And, and I, I think probably inside of two more years, it'll be 500. Um, the valuation will be close to 500 million dollars. Yeah, the numbers get exponential pretty quickly, right? And the growth has just been amazing. And, and uh, obviously being, uh, having got to know a lot of the, the great team that is still on at PN and continues to take it to great places, it just seems like the work and the output just continues to get better and better and better. And I know that's a lot of uh, fear for entrepreneurs about selling a company as well. You know, I don't want my baby that I built to, to go down, you know, because I'm mm -hmm. not there. And just seeing um, you know, a great 
you know, a great company come in who makes a purchase, who can make the right investments, can bring on new team members who have new skill sets and know the next moves that, you know, you don't have the experience in necessarily mm -hmm. or the, the team in place to do and, and see how it goes from strength to strength has got to be, you know, inspiring and, and, and a feel good story for you. Yeah, it is. You know, I, it, 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 I often think about what is essentially heralded as like an entrepreneurial triumph story, which is like the Steve Jobs story, like when he was leading Apple and then they sent him away and then they brought him back. And so he's leading Apple and it's crushing and they sent him away and it just tanks. And then they bring him back and he saves the day again. Hooray, entrepreneur, Steve Jobs. Like having gone through this journey now, like I can't help but think like, why did he leave them in such shambles? You know what I mean? Like, why did he have to come back and save the damn thing? Like, if you're doing great leadership, uh, then you should be building a company that's going to do incredible when you're not there. And I, obviously, there's a host of other factors, but uh, it, it feels like a heroic, individualistic kind of effort. And, and it's a great story from that perspective. But it also represents, I think, like a leadership failure. Like, you know, what... The, the fear of leaving your baby in someone else's hands and, and it to do poorly or, you know, embarrass your legacy or whatever is kind of contingent upon you. Like if you create a competitive process, then you'll get a bunch of partners to choose from. Then you have to vet them really well and, and choose appropriately. And then you have to continually invest in building a relationship so that you can spend some time helping them understand your advantage and point of view of the culture of the company and and then you have to hire people to take over your roles and you have to vet them really well and make sure they're the kind of people who can do a great job here uh, all of it's easier said than done but it's the requirement you know it's there's no like shirking and i see loads of people walk away from their company selling their company and they feel no uh, compulsion to do any of the things i just said and that's like the surefire way for it to embarrass your legacy and not do well. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or to validate, you know, like this, oh, it's all me and, you know, that's an ego right. play, which is, you know, the other dark side of it. Right. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, see, without me is, this is nothing. Right. And which is a very egocentric kind of perspective. And, you know, I, I actually credit our work uh, running Holacracy for the last you know, six, seven years at PN um, for helping me get to a place where I could be that way, where, you know, one of the te central tenets of holacracy is separate role from soul, right? So who you are in the business isn't who you are. It's just a subset of who you are. It's a small circle within the grander circle. Um, how can I detach from the ego and all the, I mean, there's obvious rewards of being successful and attached to a successful company, but how can I be a person okay without any of that? How, you know, there's real advantages operationally to detach role from soul, but then there's real advantages uh, post-transaction as well. It made the transaction process way easier for me because I'd already done this work. There was no yeah. ego attachment left, you know? And for those who, just to back up, for those who, who aren't familiar with holacracy and, um, would you just give a brief summary? So obviously, yeah. and, and you and I have had some discussions over the years, you know, it, it's, a. Uh, it's a, it's a model for structure and communication within an organization. Um, that's a different type of, um, uh, yeah, structure and creates a different yeah. type of culture. Um, maybe just give a little overview, but also I'd love for you to share. Um, we've had some great conversations around how that structure fits really well with some certain types of companies that it's a good mm -hmm. fit for and industries and, uh, different type of people in that work that, um, that is, it's gotten great praise, but also I think a lot of people, um, there's, there's probably a lot of people who struggle with that as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, so what it is, it's like an or, or, um, organizational structuring kind of thing, you know, and, and, uh, anyone who knows me knows I hate like the fetishization of things. So when you give something a term, then it becomes a thing. And then we have to talk about it separately from being a human on this planet. Uh, so really what, what, uh, organizational structure is, is the rules for being together within our company. So how do we relate to each other as team members, as employer, employee, you know, is it hierarchical? Is it flat structure? Meaning there's really not bosses and things like that. And so you know, the holacracy is a structure where um, the presupposition is you're going to hire talented people 
who are able to make decisions. They're grown-ups, they have autonomy, and you should give them independence to make decisions about maybe how to best do their particular work. Let's not do everything. Like if someone works in client care and has never worked in strategy a day in their lives, they shouldn't be making strategy decisions. It doesn't mean we're all equal in different roles. It means that if my job is strategy and I so happen to be the founder of the company and I've never worked in client care, then I really have to respect the experience and talent and, and daily work of the people in client care. So the idea is just kind of, you know, in holacracy, we don't think in terms of boss, you know, so leader, bunch of managers, people working for those managers. We actually just have to be, we get really explicit on who's doing what. Roles are, have specific definitions, not just the boss of X, where I work for Y, but like my role is clearly painted out. And then how that relates to other work in the company is clearly painted out. There are still people who control budgets and still people who can say yes or no to various projects, but um, it's much more independent than a traditional hierarchy. And so it really, really resonated with who we were at PM. I mean, we were a coaching company. We believe that uh, health and fitness professionals should orient to their clients this way, right? Historically, it was, okay, I'm the coach. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to do it. And if you don't, you're rebellious or lazy. Um, no, we don't believe that. We believe we should interact as two independent, autonomous adults with agency. Um, and then we figure out a path to go forward together. And so if that's how we believe in coaching, we have to believe that about our company as well. So that's, that's the idea um, behind Holacracy, and people can go unpack more of that. There's some great materials on it. Um, but like you said, I mean, some companies have tried it, and it's been a real, a real failure. And, um, you know, I don't know all about the insides of their cultures. Uh, PN at one point was hired to come consult with Zappos when they were trying to implement Holacracy. And, um, you know, I, th I think it fits particularly well in companies with knowledge workers, so uh, people who are coming with a deep skill set and a lot of experience who don't want to be told to do what to do by some arbitrary distinction of management, you know, um, for people who are grownups, you know, uh, who like can show up to work sharing responsibilities and working in a team. So these are the things we would screen for. Um, and I think it works particularly well in a remote environment, which is the kind of company that, that we were. We never had a headquarters or anything like that. We were always remote from day one. Even Phil and I uh, didn't live in the same city when we started the company. Um, and so I think in the remote environment, there's almost no other way to be than you know, having this distributed authority model. So that, you know, I, I think it tends not to work in companies with a deep entrenchment of hierarchy. Uh, and I think it tends to work with a group of people who maybe are slightly allergic to hierarchy and who are used to working in remote environments with shared accountabilities and, and responsibilities. So, you know, and again, I, I took a lot out of it. I think our company had, has, a really unique culture as a result of it. But again, I took a ton out of it personally and got a lot of personal growth out of it. And, and that I think is the other part. Uh, the leadership has to be willing to step into a new space and say, I don't know how to lead this way. So I'm going to learn alongside you all rather than I have to have the answers and I, I'm just going to tell you how it has to be, you know? Yeah. I love that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy you shared that, that, that work you did really supported a great transition for you and a great transition for the company. Um, would you, I'd love for you to share if you're you know, looking back in many ways, you've, you've, you've done what so many entrepreneurs, you know, set out to do, build a great company, makes a big impact, um, have a great exit and have a great, you know, uh, windfall for your, you know, for you and your family and for, you know, everybody involved for, for many, many years to come as a result. Looking back on, you know, where you started and where, where it ended the PN journey. We'll, and we'll, we got more to talk about in the next phase here yeah. in a second, but what advice would you give yourself, you know, looking back to, you know, your, your younger self back in the early days of PN and, and, and where you, where you ended? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a few things that, that now I'm like, Oh man, uh, a lot of it has to do with my like inner life, you know, um, less outwardly. I mean, we're, 
we we had a great run at PN, like a enchanted run. I mean, there was rarely a thing that we do that we did that didn't work. You know, um, there were some hairy moments along the way, but they were small comparatively. Um, and so the rest of it was just like how I was inside. And there are two things that really come to mind. Uh, one, I, I, you know, we'll we'll talk about my new book later, I'm sure. But one of them, I, I recount in the book. And it, it was, you know, there was a point about halfway through the journey where, you know, you know, when you don't know anything, like I don't have any business training. I, there wasn't like a deep thread of entrepreneurship through any of my upbringing. So I'm like, just try, like trying to figure it out as I go. And so where do you turn to? Well, you turn to, you know, this was pre-podcast and stuff. So you just turn to books and magazines and stuff. And so, you know, like, I think, you know, picked up from various books I read and Inc. Magazine and stuff like that. Um, I developed this belief that a founder, you know, starts out as the jack of all trades doing everything, then becomes a manager as they hire a few more people, then has to level up and become a manager of managers. So a leader, as we, as we might call it, or see something, oh, and um, I felt like that was the appropriate and correct way to run a company you know, and, and if I didn't want to do that, then I had to suck it up and, and, uh, grow, you know, and, um, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> you know, it was just so clear. Like I like what I like doing. I'm probably world-class at what I'm good at. And so, um, I was having to do all the things that were not that, <laughs> you know? And so about halfway through PM's journey, um, I was getting really depressed and toggling back and forth between just depressed and pissed off. And I'm like, what? like I'm in meetings and I'm managing team and I'm not writing anymore. And I'm not like doing content. I'm not doing ads. I'm not doing research. None of the stuff that I really love. There's literally no time in the day for that unless I rob time for my family or my workouts or my self care or my personal growth. Uh, to do that stuff. And again, I was getting pissed and then after a while it became depressed uh, to the point where, I, I mean, I still have it. I have it written down. Like I made a list of all the ways I could get out of this scenario that was making me so miserable for so long. And you know, we, we had it, uh, we had just had our second child. So I'm sure sleep de deprivation and all this was playing into it. But you know, my list on the sunnier side was, you know, like try and sell my shares in the company or, you know, one of the items was give my shares to fill, which if I would have done that, that would have like been a temporary relief of pain, but that would have really sucked in the long run. I would probably lost out on a hundred million dollars. Um, and, it, but, but the, on the darker side, there were like kill myself items on the list. And, um, so the, thing that sort of emerged as a lesson from that because you know how we resolved it was i called phil and said hey i've been struggling with this inside for like six months i need i need to talk to you about it and he came out and we spent the day together and he you know he was just he had perspective on it and he was just like hey jb like i've noticed a little bit of this and the truth is we can hire leaders we can hire see something owes like we can't hire out what you do though so you need to go back to that and we'll find managers and things like that. And, and that was literally like, you know, um, began a process of, again, what I teach in the book, uh, exploration of purpose, identification of unique abilities, and then um, uh, sort of a making concrete of your value system so that you can actually build your life around your purpose values and your unique abilities. And so we, we had exercises to, that went through this. So, I mean, really you can consider who I was before that this thing happened and after in, in work is two different people. Um, and after was a result of these very explicit intentional exercises. Um, and, and we can call them unique ability finders and stuff, but really what we're talking about is not copying other people's success, not like creating a false narrative about what it means to be successful, copying other people's experience uh, and not being yourself. You know, so that for me has been just a profound teaching point going forward where it's like, man, I was literally trying to erase myself in the process. And you can 
you can paint it as some lofty, oh, it was personal growth. You know what I mean? But really it was like an obliteration of self. Like, no, you need to stop doing all the things you're interested in and good at and have been rewarded for and do all together totally different things if you want success. Um, so the lesson really in that is, um, you know, if you want to find what I think is the rarest but most rewarding uh, way to have a, a career with longevity, it has to be centered on this idea of you, who you are, your unique abilities, your purpose, your values, and then springing from there. Because um, I, I was at an event last weekend in Seattle speaking, and I was just watching every speaker come, come up. And these are the people in front of the, the 300 attendees. And every single one of them was so uniquely themselves. You know, they had success like leveraging and amplifying the thing that made them unique and special. Um, and every one of them was different in that regard. And I was just like, this is just such a testament to this thing that I've had an inkling of for so long now, but we actually treat it like it's a bug rather than a feature. You know what I mean? Um, like we got to eliminate these weirdnesses, like smooth out those rough edges of your personality. Um, and follow the success path. Um, but if you really look around, you're like, wow, no, it's, it, those are actually features. Those are the things that uh, great businesses and cultures uh, get built off of. So that, that's one, uh, one lesson. The, the other one's smaller, but still relevant. I pursued a lot of my early career with a lot of, um, I, I carried a lot of anxiety and urgency around with me. Um, anxiety around all the things we weren't doing um, and uh, urgency about, you know, we need to go faster. We need to go faster. We need to go faster. And uh, nowadays I, I am in a totally different place and, and I don't feel those things anymore. And it's like uh, carrying around for 20 years, a heavy backpack that you don't even know that's on. And then you set it down and you're like, I didn't even realize what a relief. And, and it's so strange because this is all happening inside my head, but people are coming up to me and using words that resonate with the same imagery I have. Like I was at a thing and a woman came up to me and she was like, uh, I know we just met, um, but you seem so like light, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel light. I feel like I put this heavy backpack down. Um, and so that, um, you know, I, I've spent a lot of, I've spent a lot of time in therapy and counseling. I, I think it's really critical uh, for everyone, but entrepreneurs uh, especially. And, um, you know, I just realized that I, uh, I didn't need to have an exit to put the backpack down. You know, I used sort of the exit to, to really just go, ha, ah, taking this thing off, but I didn't need to have an exit to put the backpack down. That, um, urgency, that anxiety uh, was, was fed by an incorrect way of thinking that um, I know now it, that's what it was. And I actually know how to fix it now, you know? And, and so as I start new ventures, um, you know, which you know about, and we can talk about, uh, it's a totally different feeling going into them, you know? And, it, and, it, and it, some of it has to do with the financial wherewithal I have now, but the rest of it has to do with this new uh, perspective on hey, how can I narrow down? Like, instead of having anxiety by all the things that I'm not doing, how can I just choose very, very thoughtfully and intentionally the few things that are worth doing and just do those, like do them extraordinarily well. And then when I'm done, just call it a day, you know, rest uh, and get ready for the next thing that I'm going to do in a really big, impactful way that matters. Um, and again, I think I had been influenced by the action taker cult mantra culture in health and fitness right now. You know, you, you can't go to an event or read a thing without someone telling you to be an action taker. You know, what's the one thing you're going to do right after I leave this stage? And it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe that works for some people. Um, but for me, I think you should spend a minute thinking about what the right action to take is before you just go start working hard on something that may not actually lead to what you want to achieve. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it really speaks to 
the work that we do at NP and our message around strategy. And, you know, yes. we talk a lot about how so many people, you know, they think growing your business is, is really, it's about getting leads and getting clients. And, you know, intuitively I'm a service provider. I get more leads. I get more clients. I have more revenue. Revenue solves problems that not having revenue creates. That should be the path. I just got to go do that if I want to grow. Right. And really our message is, stop. <laughs> stop thinking that way and step back and really think about the deeper pieces of what is the, the money math that creates profitability and cash flow in your business model? What is the things that you do to support great retention and client acquisition? A lot of people through these mid-stage, uh, you know, service companies are, you know, they, they got there by getting clients, but they're missing the piece. It's the game of and it's the get clients and keep clients in this recurring right. revenue models. And then, you know, to, to your point, speaking about building the leadership capacity within your organization so that your life gets better as you grow, not worse, because right. without that in place, everything just sucks more <laughs> yes, as you grow. Right. right. So it's so important to, I, I, I speak about this every day, every time I can just think differently. Right. And I think yeah. that's a, that's the message we're both, both committed to sharing. It before. is. Yeah. I, this, this is actually the a section header in the book, you know, the, you know, and, and this, it's not just a theoretical thing. Like I grew up with people who worked harder than almost any entrepreneur I've ever met, you know, just a group of immigrants with like no, like they came with no education, with minimal skills. Uh, and now some of them were escaping persecution and maybe certain death. So it was an upgrade. But nevertheless, some of these people were working hard, harder than anyone I've met and didn't get the rewards that everyone tells you that action takers get. You know what I mean? So it can't just be working hard. You know, there has to be pointed in the direction of the thing you want to accomplish. And that I think is what's challenging for folks and why they need help what they need a process they need help from their friends they probably need some kind of coaching um, and just to get to the point where you know the way i think of it is i come from those on those those um, immigrants i i can't not work hard you know that's in my dna now it's been bred into me um, but when i die or retire i'd like to know that the thing i chose to work on was going to bring the rewards I was seeking. You know, I'm going to work hard anyway. So wouldn't it be more fun if I worked just as more hard and got meaningful relationships and done impactful work and got paid really well and all those things? I just feel like, um, you know, it's, it's like the old story, like an airplane leaves New York and it wants to fly to Southern California and you, and you change its trajectory, its angle of takeoff by two degrees and it ends up in Seattle. You know, that's how I think about this. Like that's where your point of strategy, it is about working hard, but you have to work hard on the right things and think differently. And that's, you know, uh, what I had to learn along the way for sure. Yeah. And I think for, for our industry, particularly not just this, you know, head in the sand mentality, like I'll just work harder and everything will work itself out. Like, no, you can work harder and everything just goes to complete failure. <laughs> <laughs> you right. actually, that's not like proven to, to work out. Um, yeah. I think, you know, people really need to be able to, to engage thinking about the world around them differently. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a great analogy is working out, right? Like you, uh, build muscle, you build capacity, aerobic, anaerobic in the recovery from exercise, not during the exercise. So what is your recovery from hard work? You know, that those are the spaces where quiet reflection and thoughtfulness and seeking feedback uh, has to come into play. And then you do another big workout effort, you know, and then, okay, now is recovery time. You know, I think if a lot of people working in health and fitness thought about uh, their business, their work, the same way they, as they as they do about exercise, they uh, have a meaningful analogy that they can lean on. Yeah, so that's a great place to to transition, and I wanna I wanna get to some other things in this conversation today that I think are important to share um, on the show. And so, you know, you have this tremendous exit from PN. You have you know, more money than you'll ever spend in your lifetime uh, for you and for generations of your family. You've achieved tremendous success in the impact the work has done. 
and you know you don't change your life that much <laughs> in terms <laughs> of like you know which is which uh you know you guys get a lake house and like that's kind of it, you know, like, I remember mm -hmm. we had a great conversation, uh, you know, during that time and, um, spent time with you guys. And then we left and, you know, a boat arrived. So we missed the boat on that trip, but <laughs> look forward to the next one. Um, but the, uh, you know, you were inspired to, to write this book and I'd love for you to talk about what inspired you to write the book. Why, why go, what are, what are you most, you know, uh, driven to go do now and, and what inspired, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's, what's soon to drop here and, and what is it? November 2nd, right? Yeah, well, this, this is a bit of an interesting discovery process for me now too, right? Like what happens after the exit or whatever. So, you know, when, when Phil and I sold the majority of our ownership in PM, you know, my, my first thought was, hey, this might be the last thing I do in, in health and fitness. So what I'd love to really um, spend some time on is capturing all the lessons I've learned over the last 30 years in the field, you know, like career lessons, if you will. You know, so, so the book ended up, you know, we ended up calling a change maker, turn your passion for health and fitness into a powerful purpose and a wildly successful career. And the idea being like, I started out just like everyone else, like for whatever reason, anyone who's decided to work in this field uh, has a superhero origin story, you know, like whatever spider bit you, it turned you into like health and fitness spider man or woman. Um, there's a story behind that. Um, I shared a bit about mine. I think everyone, it's worth unpacking your own. Why, why are you in this field? Of all the things you could be doing, why, why here? Why now? Um, but then I look around and I see all these people bit by this, you know, radioactive health and fitness spider, but they have no idea how to turn that even into a purpose, let alone a career. You know, and I was like, I figured this out, you know, and, and I learned a lot of lessons along the way. So I want to capture those. I want to capture them in a meaningful way, not in a, um, oh, here's what I think are the best practices, but what do I, what did I really learn these last 30 years? You know, what, what's a real lesson rather than just a superstition, you know? Um, so I, I thought this would be pretty easy, but it took two years and it was pretty excruciating actually, um, to come up with non bullshit answers to the question of what did I learn, you know? And so, you know, what, what we ended up producing is this Changemaker book and it's got sections on career and it's got sections on coaching and it's got sections on business and it's got sections on reputation and on education. Like how do you build future you through a thoughtful education process? And, um, and so I was like, great, I'm going to capture all this. Every loads of personal stories, loads of PN stories, you know, uh, most of the stories, though, come from my personal life, my interaction with my family and my friends and things like that and what they taught me and how I brought that into business. Um, and, um, and at the end of the process, I was like, you know, as I mentioned to you, like Amanda was like, hey, what do you, so now that the book's written and you're just you know, trying to produce the physical object, like, what are you doing when you're in your office during the day? And I was like, oh, I think I have to start a new business, honey. And she was like, do you want to? I'm like, no, I don't want to. But it's the right thing to do right now, you know, because career is a thing that, again, like my professional life is marked by that point I talked about earlier where I was just doing what I thought I needed to be doing versus a very intentional look at how I'd be spending my life. Um, and so I'm like, I know how to teach people how to do this. We did, we did this with every single person at PN, um, unique abilities and, values and purpose and, you know, try and create a place where every person to the left of you and every person to the right of you, uh, know, you know, Hey, they're here doing their unique abilities within their purpose, according to their values. What a great culture that creates, you know? So I'm like, I, we, I need to share this with the world. You know, I need to share our way of looking at business. Our, our, so, so we created that and then really uh, the, the Academy sprung out from that. And, so the idea being like, you know, the book is a great start, but what if you want someone to walk you through how to do this in the context of your actual life, you know, with some peers. Um, so that's really the next phase, you know, the book's coming out in November. So really soon uh, it's available for pre-order now and people are ordering it like crazy, which is really exciting. Um, and then after that, assuming the book does really well, then, you know, we're going to bring out some courses and some events and some, um, 
meetups, and this is one of the part I'm, I'm most excited about, you know, connecting people in geographically related locations. No buses involved. <laughs> no buses. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, al allowing them to sort of, you know, congregate and create community with and support other health and fitness professionals where they live. So rather than these people being adversaries, they are your, you know, team of superheroes. They're your, your X-Men, you know, uh, where these are the people who are rooting for you and sharing strategies and ideas. And I'd love to see these meetups all, all over, you know, North America, UK, Australia, Europe, where people can just get together with other people trying to uh, level up themselves, but also the entire field. So that's really what's next for me, you know, the, the idea of the Changemaker book and the Changemaker Academy. And you know, people have asked, how is this different from a lot of like business and entrepreneurship coaching that's out there nowadays, like NPE or others? And I'm like, I, I, think, it, I think it's fundamentally different. Um, what we're talking about is creating a sustainable career. I, I'm not delving into the same things you are, you know, in terms of how to uh, do the X's and O's of business building. You know, that's, that's not really my passion. Uh, my passion is to help people decide whether they should go into entrepreneurship in the first place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is an area that I think is sorely lacking. Folks who aren't making much money in health and fitness today, their presupposition is that, well, I worked as a trainer for the man. Um, the only way to be successful is to become the man, right? Um, and there's so many other paths for that, you know, to be successful in this field. Um, well, PN was recently uh, looking for a head of product, right? So someone who could help with digital products and particular pro coach or software I mentioned earlier. Um, and so they found a really great individual who was, you know, and, and actually all the applicants. Um, and I had no idea, but we're, we're interviewing people and like the average salary for a head of product at a big health and fitness company is like over 500 grand US. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so these are people who are passionate about health and fitness and like technology. And they found a way to lead teams building technological products in health and fitness. And they're making salaries of half a million or more a year. And there's all kinds of roles you can have nowadays working for health and fitness companies that aren't entrepreneurial. I don't think uh, the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey is for everyone. And that's why I would rather spend a few minutes figuring out what your unique abilities are and purpose and values, and then decide rather than just copycatting and saying, well, uh, I see those people over there who seem to run their own businesses. It kind of looks like they're doing well because you and I know this, like I have never had as much access to how people and companies are doing than I, I did in 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, by virtue of working with private equity companies, because they can find these things out very easily because this company is always trying to be sold and, and trying to be bought. Um, and so there are so many companies in our field that look like they're doing great, that are a disaster. Like you would mind blown if you saw how bad their numbers were and it seems like they're crushing it and vice versa companies you've never heard of or you would never predict they're doing so well that are absolutely crushing it financially in terms of meaningful impact it's 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 like the facebook thing you know like don't compare your real life to someone else's highlight reel well this is what we're doing with business all the time right you're doing the same problem uh so for me it's just you know can we can we intersect you know, people who are passionate about health and fitness before they start coming up with some superstition about what meaning would be to them and actually take them through a process to figure out, should you be a coach? Should you be an entrepreneur? Should you be a tech leader? Uh, there's, should you be a podcaster? There's all kinds of ways to be successful in this field now. Um, one of my greatest triumphs from a recent event was uh, Andrea, who's like my right-hand person at Changemaker Academy, was sitting next to a woman all day and all day she's taking notes about like, um, coaching and how to be a better coach and she's trying to pull every lesson in. and then then I talked and then on on its own page she wrote I don't think I want to be a coach exclamation question mark like she had this epiphany right I don't know if I saved or ruined her life there but this is what I want people to do next to think about hey where do I slot in in all of this 
and to see there's alternative paths to success that are worth thinking about at least. You know, I'm not trying to talk anyone out of what they're doing right now. It's, it's mostly like, hey, let's do a little exploration, you know, um, because there's financial success and then there's sort of deep resonance with who you are. And hopefully, you know, this is the dream. Uh, you can create both at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's more meaningful than that, really? I mean, it's, it's just so powerful and I can't wait to, to see the book and for it to get in some people's hands that I know will really benefit from uh, the lessons you're sharing. So, um, so the book comes out for, again, depending on when you're listening to the show, the book comes out November 2nd, it's on pre-order on Amazon and a host of places. We'll have it in the show notes to go check out. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I'd love, I'd love folks if, if you're interested in checking it out, um, there's, uh, I put together sort of for the podcast listeners, like a free download. So, uh, people can get a couple sample chapters and some bonus materials and stuff if they want. So if we could put those in the show notes, that'd be great. And then also if you, if you get those things and you, and you like what you see, um, I can share a Amazon coupon code as well for, for some percent off the book for folks who listen today. So, um, awesome. I, it's just important to me that as many people uh, who need this as possible get it. Um, as you mentioned, like for me, this isn't about selling books and making money. It's, it's not a driving force in my life because I'm fortunate enough to, for that not to be. Um, so now it's just been, how can we get this into everyone's hands that uh, needs to have it? Because I think uh, there's a lot of insights in there for, for folks at any stage of their journey, beginners for sure, but even people further along the path. Yeah. And I love you, even you shared at critical stages during the PN run where you had to make some pivots, which a lot of these lessons are born out of those, those, that journey for you at critical points, you know, during, yeah, totally. during great success, right. Where a time when, when on the outside, everybody thinks, Oh, John's doing great. You know, everything's fantastic. And internally you're just not, you know, struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was it. it. A couple people early on kept saying like, um, well, this book is for beginners, right? And I, and I was struggling with that idea because I'm like, it's not, but how do I convince people otherwise, right? How do you convince someone who's experienced and seasoned that they, they, they derive some value out of this too? And I was like, oh. I'm like, actually half the lessons in here are from when I was running a hundred million dollar company, you know what I mean? So uh, it's self-evident, right? Like I don't have to argue against that point. It's actually about that too, you know? Yeah, so we could really say anybody who is, looking for more clarity of the right path for them or feeling misaligned in their current role and structure today. That's looking for a better way to create alignment in their life and with their unique talents, abilities, and gifts to make an impact and deliver value. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you're hired. All right, good. You're going to be my, my marketing <laughs> PR guy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm a fan. So I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I want to respectfully your time. We, we, uh, we're right about at the, the window of what we planned for today. Um, but, um, I guess to just finish off some of the, some of the most inspiring things I think are not just your entrepreneurial journey, but around the personal work that you've done and continue to do investing in yourself. And I, I think this is such an important area that, um, you know, that, that not a lot of people are vulnerable about to speak about their struggles and speak about the, the work required and how important that is internally in, in yourself and how that, you know, in your relationships and how that just affects everything around you and not just being a good entrepreneur and business owner and successful in your career, but in every area of your life is impacted with, you know, who you are when you show up, right. And, uh, and what's in front mm -hmm. of you. So this is an area that you, <clears throat> you've done tremendous work in, uh, you're sharing a lot of those lessons in the book, um, but I'd love for you to just talk about um, just some other components of how you've you've done that work and what you advise to share with others. Because I think I, I just I actually yesterday just did an interview with uh, a couple of our very successful clients in Australia, and they talked around how two business partners and how they had done a tremendous amount of work before they became business partners and during their partnership, especially for partnerships, I think is critical mm -hmm. in business mm -hmm. to be able to do that work individually and together to be able to have um, just powerful communication and understanding. Um, and in, 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 in a business relationship, which is, you know, just gets, gets more important, the more the mm -hmm. company grows, the more pressure there is to perform and all the things that you talked about with you and Phil and how you navigated some of those pieces for yourself. So, um, I, you know, having our relationship for a few years now, you've talked a lot about how it's impacted you, your, your marriage, your, you know, your relationship with your children, um, and, and so many aspects of your life. And so, what would you say to people around, um, not just the value, but 
your, your, your advice for, for doing that work and how to engage that work internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think it uh, leans back towards what we talked about earlier, which is like, um, I think uh, everything is connected and relates to everything, right? So how do I become a good business partner is not a separate question from how do I be with people, you know, like, that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to be skillful with people, um, which means if you develop that skill and apply it, you should be skillful in your marriage and you should be skillful with your children and with your parents and with your clients and with your business partner. Like um, there is no set of hacks. I mean, you can try them, um, but people will see through that pretty easily, you know? So for me, it's just been, how can I uh, develop and evolve as a, consistent person who's skillful with others. I mean, I, unless you live in the wilderness in a cabin by yourself, um, skill with others may be one of the most important ways of being in the world. Um, so, and, and for me, the most fundamental skill for being with others is um, asking thoughtful, compassionate questions and listening deeply to the answers. Um, the, I don't know any other way to more quickly connect with people or to build ties and bridges and love and mutual respect than this. And it is so damn easy. You're like, you know, how long will it take to become skillful with other people? And I'm like, well, if you think of everything as a discrete strategy, it would take a very long time because you have to learn a lot of strategies and if you just think of it as this, I mean, how can I be a better listener? Um, but being a better listener is almost like just chastising people, you know? Um, how do you listen better? Well, it begins with asking better questions. You have to like begin the listening process with a question that elicits truth or vulnerability or pride or respect or whatever. And then let people talk about those things and then really listen and respond to them in positive ways. And, um, and I think that defines, you know, good parenting, good partnership, romantic business. You know, uh, an example is, you know, a thing that I do with our children and we have four um, is I ask them every few months, like I start off with, Hey, you know, I'm all, you guys know, it's really important to me to be a good dad. Um, it's one of the most important jobs I'll ever have in my life. And I, I want to do a really good job at it, but I can't do it by myself. So like, can you guys spend a few minutes telling me like what I'm doing well and what I'm doing badly, like what I could do better at. And so I, I start this when our kids are like three um, and the answers that they give, you know, our oldest is nine now are different between three and nine, but you know, at the beginning of this year, uh, so springtime, um, I asked that of our boys and they gave me some feedback and some of it was kind of unexpected. Uh, I, they leaned into some things I didn't think they would lean into and they didn't say some things I was for sure they would say, you know, and it was just this such a humbling moment because I'm like, uh, if I wasn't doing this intentional exercise, then I would have made assumptions about what I should do to be a better dad without ever asking the people I'm dadding, you know? Uh, and then I'd be investing in areas that weren't worth investing in and not investing in areas that were worth investing in. And so the boys gave me some feedback. And one of the things was, uh, among a couple of others, uh, well, the top two were like, um, spend a little less time working and a little more time having fun with the kids, right? now. This is strange feedback because I work less than almost any other dad that I know. Yeah, I work maybe four hours a day. So the first response could be, well, these kids are crazy. They need to understand what reality looks like. So I'm going to teach them that I don't work very much. But that's absurd because their experience is their experience. Like trying to reason it out of them is folly. Um, so I just started asking myself, okay, what is it that I do that gives them the perception that I work a lot? And could I change the way that I work or how I work so that um, they feel like I'm working less, even though I'm not. And so I committed to that for the entire summer. And our relationship is 
so different right now than it was in the spring. It's magical. Um, and part of it is because I even asked the question in the first place, you're important, your thoughts matter, tell me them. The second part is then they told me and I didn't dismiss it or argued away, I acted on it. You know, I, I went out, set out to do better and they saw and felt it. Um, and I think in addition to the things that I improved per their you know, comments, it's this meta mutual respect concept that's done most of the heavy lifting, you know? Um, so that's just one example, you know, but I think it's really fundamental to how I view all these things. Like, you know, from what I've accomplished and um, from my unique abilities around communication and speaking and writing and all that, you know, it's really tempting for me to just talk all the time. <laughs> it really is. Um, it's, it's what I would fall back on. And uh, people could reasonably argue, hey, you should do more of that, you know? But I found that the antidote is the opposite. Like, a good life actually comes from the opposite of that, which is compassionate, thoughtful questions um, and taking them seriously, listening for real. And then, like, bonus points if you act on it you know and, and i and i think uh if there was a secret sauce to this sort of phase of my life it, it's that it's that very thing um i think it's where empathy comes from you know i think it's where connection comes from where compassion comes from and, and meaningful relationships come from so i don't think there's a hack to marriage and business partnership and parenting um i just think there's a way of being with people that works in nearly every situation. And it's founded on this principle, if you will. Yeah, well, I we couldn't end on a better, better note than that. I think uh, that is great advice for, as you said, anything in life with it's you and someone else. <laughs> here's, how to, here's how to engage it better. So uh, fantastic. Well, look, you know, there's so much more I know that you have to share the world. I'm excited about this next phase of your journey with the book, with the Academy, with the meetups, with the events. Uh, we look forward to supporting that and at MP and anything I can do to obviously help you get the message out. I know we're aligned in our mission and our work to help the industry grow and get better and support people in their careers and work they do. And um, I'm just really happy for this. You know, it's such a great, exciting time for you. It's awesome to see you go from strength to strength and continue to, find, you know, your right balance for you and, uh, and doing it in such a powerful way that gets to give back to the world. So, you know, thank you uh, for the work you're doing. Thanks, my friend. I appreciate the kind words. Um, uh, I appreciate the chance to kind of share some of the story today and, and all the support that you've given me already and, and the support that I know is to come. Uh, and again, to the folks who've listened in, like, thanks for spending time with us today. Hopefully there's some value that you can get out of this and uh, you can translate it into something very meaningful and uniquely you in the process. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll have more in the show notes, check them out, go grab the free bonuses and worksheets and go grab the book. And, uh, we look forward to, uh, more to come. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Secrets to Their Fitness Business Success podcast with me, Sean Greeley. If you like the show, then head on over to npefitness.com slash podcast to download the show notes, subscribe, and enter to win over 25,000 in free prizes we're giving away to celebrate the launch of the show. Be well, and we'll see you in the next episode.